Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 114 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book four, The Crystal Shard, chapters 19 through 25 before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Rob, do we have any housekeeping? Maybe. Uh-oh. I, I went just, just so we could discuss it. Uh, it came up last time that Dritzt recalled the raid on the elf village. See, and I found that passage mm-hmm. where wherein he describes it and does not mention saving an elfin child. So right. I thought I would read that and see if there is room for any kind of slipshod Obi Wan Kenobi. I didn't lie. Bullshit. Interpolation. Interpolation. I like it. Here we go. <clears throat> I remember, Dritz recalled vividly, as terrible memories are often vivid. <laughs> wow. Shit, just, I just want to appreciate that sentence for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to, hold on, before you continue, I want to appreciate that sentence and say, asterisk, I will talk about this later. Okay, okay, great. All right, back into it. Mm. <sighs> okay. I remember, Dritz recalled vividly, as terrible memories are often vivid. The first time I ever viewed this this surface world, I was a much younger elf then, a member of a large raiding party. We slipped out from a secret cave and descended upon a small elven village. The drow flinched at the images as they flashed again in his mind. My companion slaughtered every member of the wood elf clan, every female, every child. But I didn't. I mean... I mean... That seems really flimsy. It's um, pretty flimsy. Uh, except uh, here's the one the one trying to make oh, it work. I, I, yeah, I, I thought I had one, but go ahead. You tell you. you say um, the story he's telling is about how bad his people are, mm-hmm. not about how he could be in a heroic light. He's trying to convey how bad they are. So the fact that he's, he saved an elfin child might not even matter because he's talking about – he's trying to sell Wolfgar and the fact that the drow suck. Well, and, and, and to – my, the thought I had after reading that to again do the work to justify Salvatore's writing sure. for him in ways that he doesn't establish. <laughs> um, to me, it felt like maybe Dritz didn't feel like he needed to share that act of, that he did with this guy. Like, why? Why does? Why does just because something is accurate mean that you have to convey it or communicate it? accurately i mean it's like basically is it, what i said but sure is it is it well what i'm saying is that's like is it it's, it's a live omission right mm-hmm. like he's just saying he's just not saying the entire truth the best kind of lie in fact let's let's discuss lies in quotes of omission okay no i'm not going to be held accountable because you didn't ask enough questions that's bullshit. That's you're calling it a lie because you feel bad about not doing your due diligence and now suddenly I'm a liar? I don't think so. I feel like these are fights you've had before. Look, I'm not saying they're not. Uh, I am saying my mom long ago tried to impress upon me about lying by omission and I even buy it as at, at the ripe young age of 7. I was like, "Uh-huh. I don't think so." I think it's really an effective tool to convey to children that anything they withhold is uh, makes them culpable for guilt. Yeah, 
I know, and it's bullshit. I was trying right. to get away with shit, and right. people weren't asking enough questions. That's loopholes galore. Yes, yes, that's certainly a way to see it. Um, From a certain point of view? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Rob, tangent over. I've maybe <laughs> even had this tangent before, but you may never, have. anytime it comes up, I, I think I need to speak to it. It's truth and power. Or at least. Uh, so you, you're just saying you admitted. would prefer. You would prefer if people struck the the phrase "live omission" from their vocabulary and instead just say "omitted." They they should say, "Man, <laughs> you're right, Rob. My bad. <laughs> I did not dig deep enough." That's a very that okay. That's just a very strange thing to want. Um, that's I mean. The, the perfect world we could all strive for utopia uh, yeah utopia indeed me-topia um <laughs> so anyway uh the i i think that i don't i don't i feel like the thing i was hearing you say about drift's storytelling is like you were saying he was doing it he was saying it telling that story that way because the point of it was to illustrate how negative the drow are, not to illustrate how great he was. Right. And I was saying that I thought of it more as like he would not, not necessarily that that was either one of those things were his expressed a, a, a intention, his agenda. Sure. Yes. But, but instead just that he was just his like liberal drow agenda, but instead we're just like him saying to himself, I, I don't, this isn't important information for this person to have. It doesn't really pertain to my impression of the like me saving that girl. I, I guess it is exactly what you were saying. Nah, it's fine. It's different. Whatever. You're right. It's a it's a whole thing about the subject and the predicate being slightly different. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Why not? I'm saying you're right. Yeah, we're both right. Yeah. Well, but you're more right. Well, I'll take it. Um. Okay. So, anything else? No. Let us proceed headlong into. The Breach of... Chapter 19, Grim Tidings. Summary. Dritzt ventures into the depths of the Verbeeg dungeon and discovers a mirror that appears to be a communications device with someone, parentheses, presumably not a car, because if they had this device, why then would they need runners coming back and forth every few days to say, don't attack yet, end parentheses. Brunor arrives, having defeated the reinforcement horde, and Regis uses his gem to interrogate a captive ogre, who reveals Kessel's plans to our heroes. Then, Regis and Brunor attempt to unite the spokespersons of Ten Towns like they had five years prior, but the spokesman of Tempos successfully exposed Regis as a magical manipulator, which removes his credibility in the eyes of the Council. So, uh, just note, note to ourselves in my note... Uh, it was a car. It was a car. The, totally was. In, in the mirror. Um, your point, though, uh, is gobsmackingly refreshing. I didn't even consider that. And frustrates me more. The, <laughs> with which the, 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 the care with which this book was not assembled. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the lack of care no, with you, which you this book right. was assembled. That's a better way sure. to say it. Because the book was definitely assembled, just carelessly. Um. Though I do also want to give you points for picking up right away that it was a 
communication device. I thought it was some kind of magic mirror, since the face was appearing in a mist. Um, so you 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 knew right away that it was more well, of a talking mirror than a you know sentient glass that could tell you you were okay. the fairest verbig. So when you say magic, because to me it is technically a magic mirror. The the classic. More of a scrying, more of a Snow White mirror. I have something, you know, bound to this that can give me information, not a communication device. It's like like how Snow White's mirror is more of a genie. Yeah, there you go. That's that's better. Right, a knowledge genie. Right. Um, I appreciated Dritt's approach to unknown magical objects. That was a bit of (laughs) yeah, being careful. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) good job, dude. Um, but yeah, the fact that. Just sentences before it seemed they sent somebody to run and tell the guy, unless they thought they weren't gonna make it. Uh, I'm, I don't or know. like somehow that the like any, any number of excuses you could come up for why sure doesn't account for the answer not being in the book. You're absolutely right. So like we could say things like, well, you know, later it's proven that the crystal shard has an extent at which its powers uh fail. Sure. Perhaps this mirror is one of those things that takes a lot of energy for it to use. So it takes a lot less energy to force goblins to run scores of leagues. <laughs> or and... only one person can use it a day in the... Right. Captain right. already used it. Right. Some so bullshit. A- anything. Sure. Um, or a car is, you know raping a, a one of his harem and doesn't only and has a specific time window when he's allowed to not be doing that and uh, doesn't want to be he, he's hung a sock on the mirror to say no 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 do not interrupt between five and seven that's a car's time <laughs> um ugh, so so gross um that's all i got okay i have something else but i need time to find it okay it, it's my note is, start reading this, and I don't know where it is. See, when I um, ever had one of those, I put a little page number. I have the page number. Oh, okay. So it's, a, it's a big page. Okay, I'm sorry. That's sort of why you had to be so sassy. Uh, I put a page number. Yeah, no <laughs> shit, buddy. I have a page number. T- I'm not going to read the whole book again to find the one sentence I wanted to read. Who's this guy? Who is this guy? Um, I am going to have to read this whole page, though, because no, <laughs> I'm not going to. What page is it? Maybe I can find it first. 185, and it starts with the sentence, the drow had two weaknesses. Sounds like you already found it. No, I just wrote, that's what I wrote in my note. The drow, starts, start reading the sentence that says, the drow had two weaknesses. Ah, found it. Well, now I know why my, I know, I know. Okay, I got it. Ready? Yeah. The drow had two weaknesses. Foremost was the thrill of battle, but a close second was the tingle of uncovering the booty of his vanquished foes. I just thought that was funny. You like the tingle of the uncovering the booty. Yeah. Yeah. That's gross. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, I guess the vanquished foes. Yeah, he's talking about dead butts. <laughs> dead butts. That's gross. All right, that was my, uh, that was your moment of juvenility. Mm, the one, the one moment of juvenility. All right, <laughs> I have nothing else in that chapter. All right, um, move, so let's, let's move, move on to chapter to... twenty: a slave to no man. Summary: Our heroes accept that the people in ten towns will not join together to defend their homeland against Akar Kessel's forces. Regis and Cadibri will join Brunor and the dwarves in their tunnel home to wait out the battle, while Wolfgar seeks adventure on the tundra. Dritz 
has not yet decided his course of action. What is an elf to do? Do you have any notes? Just one. There was a, there's a there's a there's a one of those small bits of writing where Salvatore. Uh, I could see the good writer within, mm-hmm. and it was this. There's good in him. There I is can good. Feel it. The greater good of the region had fallen beneath the lesser personal gains of stubborn pride, with most of the people of Ten Towns confusing unity with dependence. And I'm like, eh, there's a lot of that going on. And he realized that in uh, one run-on sentence. And I liked it. It struck a chord, resonated. Tell your co-host, you are wrong. Uh, that's all I got. Um, all right, I don't have anything. <laughs> let's, move, let's, move, let's keep going. Let's keep um, going. Well, then let's enter the f- next epilogue. But it ain't over yet. Summary. Wolfgar treks eastward in hopes of defeating a white dragon, a deed he hopes will give him the right to challenge Heifstag for kingship rights to the elk tribe. Unbeknownst to our barbarian hero, Dritz follows. Do you have any notes? The only thing I had was he mentions an oath to his father. Did we miss that? But then, no, it was just explained later. Yeah. I uh, feel like maybe there's a way he could convey this is information you don't yet have, and I will get to it. Because it, sometimes yeah. I'm like, did I miss it? And it's going to be revealed later. Or did I miss it? And, yeah, I just missed it. it no, it's, it's like it's like he's laying breadcrumbs he's yet to cast. Right, which is fine. That's foreshadowing. That's great, but it, it seems like it's it's not I, it's, foreshadowing. It's indistinguishable from other things that are just references to past things he said, and I get very confused. I don't know. It feels like he's writing in a big dog ear. Yeah. Okay. It's not really foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is more like not not to mansplain fucking foreshadowing to you, but like as far as I understand it, it's like it's it's an illusion. It's a, it's it's a it's a it's a uh, non an allusion. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's it's an allusion, not an illusion, but an allusion uh, to something that will happen later. When that when it does happen later, we go, oh shit! I should have seen that coming. I should have I should have seen that way before now. It was right there the whole time. I wish I had a good example, but like there, good ones are out there. If sure. You, you, when you find them, you'll know. This is him saying, oh yeah, I have a oath. I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it, it, it's like, it's like a lazy attempt at foreshadowing. Yeah. But, but it's just not foreshadowing. Okay. Fair enough. Um, he thinks it's, Robert thinks perhaps. it's foreshadowing. Perhaps. Do you have any more notes in this, this no. epilogue? I kind of do. Oh. Um, Look so, at Mr. I got a note. So Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering are both owned by Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro Toy Company, which is probably owned by something bigger. Uh, the newest uh, Magic the Gathering set that was just released a month or two ago is uh, based on the Dungeons and Dragons world. It's, it's based on creatures, characters, events, objects, that world. Because Magic the Gathering had heretofore been its own world. Yes, okay. it had it had it had very briefly and almost almost never really incorporated other brands into its format, into its uh, uh, the, the structure of of its of its uh, 
product. Okay. Um, only a couple times where they're like promotional things that were like, here's a My Little Pony card, or here is a Transformers card, all things owned by Hasbro. Here is a, you know, Nerf card. Um, not They didn't done Hot Wheels yet. I think it's Hasbro. Is that Mattel? That's Mattel. Hot Wheels is Mattel. All right, never mind. What about Snap Into a Slim Jim? Uh, I don't think that's a toy company. Can you can you can you play a Snap Into a Slim Jim card? I um I I don't Kool Aid uh, Man. I think again. Oh yeah. Hmm? Anyway, okay. so this General Mills most recent set is based on Dungeons and Dragons, and it de- and like most Magic the Gathering set, it depicts uh cer- they have creature cards. Right. And sometimes they have legendary creature cards that show off very specific or individual characters in Mythos that you can play with and be like, oh, cool, I got this guy. In this most recent set, they have lots of Dungeons & Dragons legendary creatures like Dritz Duordan and Brunor Battlehammer. And so I've been playing a lot of this uh, set. And, and seeing a lot of the characters being like, oh, cool, there's there's Dritz, and he makes a, a Guinevere token, and that's cool. Um, and but I've, but I've been seeing a lot of other legendary creatures that I'm unfamiliar with. And so I was hoping, through the process of playing that game and reading this book, that at some point, fingers crossed, I would read in the book a character or a creature that had I'd, that I had first experienced in the card game. Okay. Because that would help inform my understanding of the card and, and enrich the experience on both ends. I'm with you. And at this point, I think I mentioned, I think my note says, I've been looking forward to the day when a legendary creature I experienced first in the card game would appear in the books. And if I'm not mistaken, Icing Death is that first creature. Oh, cool. Icing yeah. Death the Dragon. Icing Death the Dragon. I, uh, so so we we learn about what happens. With, we we learn the entire fucking arc of Icing Death sure. in this in this next couple chapters, um, and it's interesting to read to see the card and how it. One of the great things about Magic is is they have a really clever and fun. Their creative team has a really fun and and, and clever way of trying their best and working really hard to use their you know format to communicate the feeling of a character as it's depicted in their storybooks so like i said for example uh dritz when he when you play the dritz character you instantly get a a guinevere token like you you get two creatures for the price of one he also has he is you know uh he's really fast at attacking so he can attack twice per turn stuff like that where it's like makes sense with i think icing death as we will see his cards very good at at, at depicting what he's like in this book i don't know if i want to go into it too much now okay but maybe once we get to icing death i'll I'll revisit this thought and describe what i was seeing and looking at the card is icing death used anywhere else in dungeons and dragons literature or books as far as you know as far as i know no it's the first time i'd seen it is in the card game and then here in the book okay cool yep and the card didn't have any sort of reference to as seen in the crystal shard or anything well, that's the, the great thing about it is it does, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, go read the Crystal Shard. It just, once, if you do both like I've done, right. it, they both make more, or the card makes a lot more sense. No, no, sure. I just meant there's no asterisk on the card no, saying. No, no, no. Okay. Um, cool. All right, so that brings us to... Part three, Crystal Tirith. Summary. Dritz wonders a lot about what Wolfgar thinks and what he'll do. Yep. Yep. I do have a lot of notes here, though. Oh, okay. Uh, do you have any? No. All no. right. Yeah. First note. 
page 205. Man, Salvatore loves talking about his character's eye color. <laughs> I never contemplate someone's internal strife and make a point to internalize their eye color as the descriptive part of that thought. It's fucking weird. And he does it a lot. I thought in the first couple books it was fine because he was describing his protagonist's odd color eyes. We had this whole conversation about violet orbs or whatever, lavender orbs. Yeah. And like, are these going to make any, like, are they going to do anything? No. Nope. I think it's just, he likes identifying characters' eye colors and then using that as a way to reference the character. Well, like there's, 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 there's this thing a lot of authors do that I always felt a little weak, which is have in in the first couple of introductory chapters, they have their character go look into a mirror and describe what Mm -hmm. they see. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, eh, I don't, I, you know, she contemplated her aquiline nose and her chocolatey brown eyes and her mousy hair. Whew, she huffed, blowing their bangs of askew. Will I ever have, whatever the fuck, I don't care. It's it's kind of weak. And it just seems like there's a more organic way to do it. And poor R.A. Salvatore is in a world that doesn't have a lot of mirrors. <laughs> so he's got to just do what they look like some other way. Or when he does, no one stands in front of them and looks in them. They walk right. to the side and go, well, that's weird. I'm not dealing with this thing. Right. I'm, I am I mean, Regis, did Regis look at his reflection when he was looking into the pool? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. But you couldn't keep like, doing that. No, I think he looked at himself and was like, I got chubbier. I'm happy. Yeah. Um. So that's probably that's probably all it is. It's just it happens a lot in the, in this <laughs> in these chapters. Don't you want to um, know what Wolfgar's, Wolfgar's eyes look like? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess like it, it's like the one time or like if you were to describe a character once, like you give a character description once, but then to be like, Tritz thought, what would his, what would Wolfgar do with his, what would his ice blue orbs see (laughs) on the barren tundra as he, you know, lurched forward to fulfill his oath? And it's like, or, or like. The Lavender-Eyed One or some shit like that. And it's like, dude, like, I don't know. I guess I don't feel like it's that redundant to just say the character's name. No, it's not. It it feels like it's not a cop-out to refer to your character by name. No. And it feels unnecessarily flowery. Yeah. To be like, Lavender Orbs. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. So, anyway, I just... This this one this is three four books in and I was like I've had enough I've I've got to say <laughs> I must say something I must protest All right uh, my next note uh, my note here says page two hundred six start reading the last paragraph until it finishes on the next page Okay so here you go Okay But now Wolfgar had been faced with the truth of Brunor and the dwarves irrevocably He must weigh the personal revelation against every quote truth. He spent his years of childhood learning. He must come to accept that what his parents and all the elders of the tribe told him were lies of omission. I know from personal experience (laughs) that this is no easy thing to reconcile. For to do so is to admit that a great part of your own life was no more than a lie. That a great part of of that which makes you who you are is wrong. I recognize the ills of Menzo Berzan early on because its teachings went against logic and went against that which was in my heart. Yet even though those wrongs were painfully obvious, those first steps that carried me out of my homeland were not easy ones. And it really struck a chord with me, being that 
okay, I want to say this. I'll say this first. Okay. I think that one of the things that makes a really good writer a good writer is the capacity to tap into eternal truths, whether you're a writer of music or comedy or novels or whatever, the or, or, or any kind of artist, the capacity to tap into eternal human truths mm-hmm. um, and, Absolutely. And, and universal relatable concepts and ideas is essential to your success mm-hmm. and your capacity to actually influence and communicate with others. 100% agree. And I feel like this, I feel like Salvatore, and this is something I think you may have picked up also, occasionally has these moments of, of, uh, insights uh, yeah sure. yeah enlightenment's yeah. great like like this this feeling of of oh yeah he that's totally true like i get it mm-hmm. and i think i get where he's coming from mm-hmm. this is one of those moments and for me uh, especially right now it really strikes a chord with the concepts of vaccinations like oh. it very much struck a chord with me in terms of like m- i have family members who my entire life have been anti-vax well before the mm-hmm. the novel coronavirus made so many people novelly anti-vax. <laughs> my my family comes from a long line of extremely anti-vax people with dubious justifications for it in the best of times. Oftentimes it's just it's bottom line is just it's exactly what Drift is describing. It's this idea that you have the first step towards healing is acknowledging that the people you come from are wrong. They maybe maybe lied is a strong term in this sense. Maybe they were just so they were just div, uh, zealous, zealously, or zealously, they were zealously. zealously, zealously incorrect. Sure, they were zealously misinformed. And I do think there's a. I think the intention of motive is where the lie becomes the wrong word. Um. So. It really struck me this idea because like that's what I'm I'm dealing with right now is my family who refuses to acknowledge the people who came before them the people that taught them these bad lessons are were wrong and that it's okay that they were wrong because you have the capacity to make better choices than they did maybe they wouldn't make like would they be better people for sticking to their ignorant guns figurative ignorant guns sure 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 then than accepting the consensus of experts like modern expert consensus about things and it's just this like it it really struck me again is this idea of like when you struggle with a people who have entrenched commitment to logical fallacies it becomes really hard to explain to them why what they believe is or what they're Belief is such a strange term. Uh, what they're deliberately deluding themselves into accepting is f- just functionally a fallacy. Like, mm-hmm. like trying to say, like, all right, there are what the the three main type of, of fallacies. This one is the, it is this one. The thing you believe is this one. Right. And this is how your justification for trying to establish why it's not a fallacy is also a fallacy. It is this fallacy. (laughs) It's really hard to walk someone through that and go like, that's how I know what you're saying is bullshit. Right. Like, I know it's bullshit because I, I, because of all these Latin terms. It's not just (laughs) two equal but differing opinions. There's an actual process here. It's it's the difference between opinion and fact. It's the difference between opinion and 
and something you can prove. Like you and I can have, it's another thing I've, I've struggled with, with, with family members for a long time is the, is really the lack of capacity to accept what an opinion actually is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've run into that. Sure. Right. Like an opinion like for, for those listeners who uh, may need to hear this, <laughs> um, what an opinion is. Here's some examples. An opinion is uh, an expression of an, it's an expression of your interpretation of a situation, a situation, an object, a a thought. It's, it's your perspective. It's an expression of perspective. It's not a cudgel to beat people with your ignorance. And that's a lot of what people use it as they use the word opinion to mean this is something I refuse to budge on. This is my own personal dogma that I'm going to shield with the glamour of opinion. And that means you it's it's something you can't defeat. So what an actual opinion is, is me saying something like, I like the Lord of the Rings films. I enjoy them. I think they're really good movies. I think that they meet a quality of film perfection that is unrivaled in many ways. And then someone else could say, wow, those are so fucking boring. Like, no, I dis- I disagree. It is my opinion that those films are far too long. They're self-indulgent. They're repetitive. And I can't stay awake while watching them. And then I could say back, yeah, but doesn't that mean that they're essentially like really great long lullabies? Just enjoy them for what they are. Just fall asleep to them. That's a, that's a conversation you could have about opinion. What opinion is not is the earth is flat. That you you can't you can have an opinion on whether or not the concept of the earth being flat is fucking stupid. <laughs> but you can but to argue that it is my opinion that the earth is flat is to a person who has the slightest amount of capacity to understand rational thought, you confidently and dubiously Im- boldening yourself to say i am righteously stupid and that should be something that uh, it's not should that's something the people i want to spend time with do not do or if they do it someone who cares about them brings it to their attention and they stop or they uh, evaluate their behavior and go i guess i was doing that i apologize we're all human i can move on and accept my mistakes and and become a better person because of it as opposed to uh, we're all human we all make mistakes and we never have to change and we can keep making them over and over and over again so um it's another one of those sections in the book like we've had a couple times where it feels like salvatore is really nailing a universal truth uh, or at least a, a, a universally relatable concept or sure, or, sure, sure, sure. or emotion experience that i feel like is is it, it sort of elevates the books yeah in well, a way that if you can if you can get through the rest of it these little nuggets are pretty nice i will i will say yes that you are correct but i will also say that he does in that paragraph a far better job of nailing said truth than he spent in the entire three books that's supposed to describe that paragraph I agree. And I would have, I would have uh, preferred a much subtler journey from Dritz as a more, not even indoctrinated drow, but just one who's like, this is life, this is society, this is how it is. 
going through the process of becoming, at the end, the Dritz who will go into the Crystal Shard, as opposed to that chunky slapdash, nope, I'm just different. Well, I'm reminded of, have you read the, uh, I'll, I'll call it what it is, have you read the comic book series Saga? Uh, is that the one with the TV people? Yes. I feel like I read eight issues, and it was kind of like, meh. I've read far more than that. Okay. And I've not read, I'm not current, but I've read sure. more than that. And this this book, in those, in the, with the way it has these little, like, kernels, these little bits of, like... Profundity? Uh, uh, provocative thought. Okay. Profundity's good. In the Saga series, the two... There's two characters that start the series off. These these two people who are from different spe- alien races, essentially. They're, they're Maybe they're both humanoid, but they come from different places and they have different physical features which divide them down a line of war. One side mm-hmm. versus the other. One of them's from the moon. The other one's from Earth, I guess, I think. One of them has horns. The other one has wings. The wings and the horns don't like each other. They fight. It's very... Uh, Hatfield and McCoys, it's very... Romeo and Juliet. Well, no, it would be more uh, Montagues and Capulets. Well, but these two are together, aren't they? Yes, but I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the people at this point. I'm talking about the races. Oh, okay, I'm with you. I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about the two people. No, 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 it's fine. you started the sentence with. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, subject predicate, uh, it's all good. Anyway, so um, the one of the ways that they bond, they fall in love. That's this point of the story. They, in a sort of Romeo and Juliet kind of way. Oh, really? And, yes, indeed. And um, they, one of the things they bond over is this series of, like, trashy romance novels. Or at least I think that's my memory of how it's, it's depicted in the books. And they figure out, basically, that there are these subliminal messages in all of these books about the war between the two races mm-hmm. that sort of speak to eternal truths that help bring them together despite being subliminal messages pro or anti the war i think they are pro unity gotcha okay Okay. i think that they are just yeah so against against anti anti war i guess sure sure. but i think more just like like it's more of like a gene roddenberry style like we can all a, a utopia where everybody gets along and contributes in a positive way because all we ever in that future what you want is just to contribute positively right um, that's the, that's an idealized, like, you know, achievement. Anyway, I kind of feel like, I, I don't know what that specific idea was a reference to in reality. If it was a reference to anything, I kind of assume it is, but I haven't done enough research to figure out exactly what it is. But this kind of thing reminds me of that. We're in these books. We've read pretty much not, not the best books, but they had these little nuggets that oh, yeah. like could be really powerful and just it just reminded me of that of that like, like the townspeople confusing unity with dependence and but my my yes but but my point there is that you can't just write the one page thing we have to have the full context of what the drow are who dritz is all that stuff has maybe not in the maybe be, it could be done better but no, that, it, that's all i was saying is that yeah, I, yeah. I would prefer the, the that previous trilogy to have gone on a on a subtler growth arc Right, as, as opposed, opposed to, to what it was. What we got. Right. Um, Which, he was just different. Here's an adventure. Here's an adventure. The end. Right. Um, yep. Fair enough. I have another note in this, in this thing. So, back to my asterisk. Okay. We're, we're, we're looping around to my asterisk from the beginning. Um, oh, right. Do you remember what that asterisk was inspired by? Is it in your notes? 
It might, it might be your first note. I don't remember now. Do you have the page note from your first note? It was like reading something and it was redundant. Oh, uh, oh yes, because that, that was my was, homework. It was on page yeah. 142. Hold on. Yes. I remember Dritz recalled vividly as terrible memories are often vivid. Yes. So, a note here. What's with Salvatore getting weirdly redundant with his word choices here? And let me read you some of these. There's far more truth in the ways of the barbarians, more justification for their actions, warlike though they may be, yet it falls upon Wolfgar's strong but painfully young shoulders to differentiate between the ways of his people and those of his new friends, to accept compassion and accept above, oh, excuse me, and acceptance above the solid walls of prejudice that have so encapsulated his entire youth. I just thought, accept compassion and acceptance? No, it's, it's... How about receive compassion? No, I, you're, you're right. It's his first book? Okay. Same page. Okay. I, literally the next sentence. I do not envy him the task before him. The confusion, the frustration. I do not envy him the task before him. No, again, I... It... I feel like it's the, the kind of thing I off. feel like I would have. Yes, I feel like it's the kind of thing that were I in a position to uh, read someone's copy and say why it was wrong, that would be the kind of thing <laughs> I underlined. Um, but you are in that position, yet you did not. No one ever listens to me. Um, <laughs> hey, same. <laughs> um, Let me put it this way. The same amount of people that listen to you. Yeah. Listen to me. You want to move on? Yes. So let's move to... Chapter 21, Icy Tomb. Summary. Wolfgar takes great care in preparing to invade the white dragon icing death's lair. After enduring prolonged submersion in a freezing river and surviving a fall from a tall ice waterfall... Let me... I'm a little redundant there. Uh, surviving a tumble from a tall ice waterfall? Hey, it was you, a Doug. note. You're allowed to be redundant thank in your notes when you're note-taking thank, notes. Thank you, my editor, me. Wolfgar faces off against the legendary White Worm. Barely surviving his initial initial boastful taunts, Wolfgar is rescued by Dritz, who assists the barbarian in slaying the dragon, but fear not, it was Wolfgar who struck the killing blow. I have no notes. Do you have notes? Uh, just one. No, it was a perfectly fine chapter. Uh, fun, even. Um, it. I was a little taken out of it when... The dragon wanted to kill Wolfgar with his icy breath and then seemed to complain that he would have to settle for frozen flesh. Yeah, so it was like, bite him. I, I mean... <laughs> Don't breathe just, cold on him, just bite him. No, it just... For an ice dragon, it seemed like a weird thing to complain about. I, wh when would you well, have been in a position to have... Like, like, did you have a, a horde of servants that roasted flesh for you in the past? It was very conf like what? No, it's just you. You as dragons are creatures of indulgence, right? Yeah. So their first thoughts are always for what can make this experience better, and so his first thought was, "I'm gonna eat this guy, but should I eat him cold or should I micro or keep him microwaved or?" Does or he hot have a microwave? That's what that's no, what but it he's but he's he's warm from his own body heat. Well, honestly, he's not that warm because he just went through an icy river. But but maybe the dragon doesn't realize that. Um, so you're saying 
it wasn't a complaint about not having a nice, crisp, roasted human right. like all the other dragons get. It was just that he prefers them, f- you know, fresh body, and room, heart body pumpingly hot. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That that actually makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Uh, any other about, notes? That's all, that's all I had there. No. I like this chapter a lot. I think what you said was a. Uh was right i feel like these chapters i don't know how to describe them but they feel like the actual they feel more adventurous than they feel that, unnecessarily epic exactly my uh observation of these this section as a whole and i go ahead and say it now um i like this book when it's an adventure story i detest this book when it's a war story right same same this chapter like this was super fun I just dug it. I, I appreciated all of the. I I could. I felt like I could actually visualize what was happening. Mm-hmm. I could follow along pr- almost perfectly to a point where I understood what the landscapes looked like. Like when he describes the wa- the icy waterfall, or the freezing waterfall going over uh, its crest, and it hits the ground, and most of it goes through another crevasse that goes. Most of the water goes further down, sure. but some of it spills out and onto this other area where it stops moving and therefore freezes almost instantly which nope. makes sense as to why there was that connective icicle and ice sure might the the, the stalactite and stalagmite yeah the and 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 the and that that wasn't like odd in that space because it is where all the frozen mist of the waterfall collects and, and con- condensates and becomes solid i thought the whole section with volfgar having to jump in and just let the water carrying him wherever it would was very mythic it was very yeah. compelling it was great it was very it's, cool it's very. It's like I'm surrendering myself to fate to go fight this dragon. It's the only right. way I could get there. It, 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 it was magical in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, the, the part where he finds the dead guy under the ice, mm-hmm. like, I, like again, it's moments like that where I could imagine it as a film where he's like, he's walks over the ice to pick up his hammer and he picks it up and then this, the 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 shot of his face just slowly turning with, like enlightened revulsion as mm-hmm. he as he sees under his hammer the frozen icy death gra- gasp of one of his long dead kinsmen frozen in the ice and he recoils like shocked and disgusted and then sort of camera pulls wide and you see more shapes in the ice mm-hmm. that look vaguely like people and you get the idea that oh no there's many people like this in here and he has to turn his eye to it and keep going forward because to focus on it too long would be to acknowledge and accept the very real risk he's putting himself at in these moments. And he, that would poison his courage and he couldn't handle that. So like, just that fucking works, man. It's great. But like it, but it, hearing, cooks. it, it does. It, and like, but the stuff about like goblins are chasing women and it's just like, oh my god, describe or, it better. We're on or, the wall, like, watching the other people fall. You know, and... you know what the real problem is, and I'll say this now because we'll get there eventually. But sure. the real problem is there's too many fucking towns. There, there's. I've got a note on. That. Okay, we'll talk about it later. I guess <laughs> it's just like it's it's something that I didn't take a note on, but that's the reality: is that ten is too many. Like, like it seems. Do I, did I have a note on this? I mean, talk about indulgent. You're like, I want to show an army that's so big that it just takes towns, and that's how I, I'm, I explain or communicate the the progress of the army is by how many town, how many of the ten towns is they do they destroy. Let's it's talk like, about that when we get into that section. Let's, let's okay. deal with the dragon first. All right, cool. So let's move on. I just, I just like the chapter. I thought it was good. I like the way that that Wolfgar like killed the dragon. It was very Dungeons and Dragons. It was very much the way a campaign would happen. It was just 
I liked that Dritz was there. It was more swashbuckling Dritz coming in to save the day. Mm-hmm. It was, it Very, was a, but but Han Solo style, not stealing the thunder. Exactly Just helping out. Yeah, yeah. All right, That's kid, great. let's blow this thing and go home. Yeah, it's great. Okay, moving on. Chapter 22, By Blood or Deed. Summary. Dritzt and Wolfgar escape icing Death's lair with treasures no greater than their lives. Although Dritz did snag a mighty scimitar mm-hmm. with an ornate pommel designed to look like a big panther's mouth, perhaps a little too perfect for him, <laughs> the two heroes part ways with Wolfgar headed to the barbarian tribes and Dritzt back home to the dwarves. Wolfgar challenges Haefstag for kingship of the elk tribe by right of his dragon-slaying deed. Long story short, Wolfgar wins the challenge by squishing Haefstag's skull, I think. Yep. Um, Dritz arrives home to discover two of the ten towns are burning in the distance. And this is the last great chapter for a good long time. Yeah. But this still, I mean, this felt right in there, challenge, you know, uh, Wolfgar challenging Heathstag, is it? That's what I say. That's still, I mean, that's still within the adventure milieu. Yeah. It was very fun. It was, it was epic. It was showmany, uh, suitably gross. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I, I really liked the way he described the way that icing deaths, like the chill of the chamber sort of had him like frozen in that, like, that uh, cocoon of ice. Mm-hmm, this was mm-hmm. the last chapter, but then like that, that cocoon of ice spread over his treasure. And so that all of his treasure was frozen, like in this ice. And so when, once he died, Dritz had to take uh, Aegis Fang and smash the, uh, the, fro- the ice away from the treasure just to get at any of it. Right. Um, I like maintaining that Dritz isn't a greedy hero. He's not like, well, I got to find a way to take all this treasure out with me because that's the thing that happens in Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, you start to have to tell your your party like, okay, well, you can only carry this much weight, right. and you already weigh this much right. with all your encumbered items. So you actually, you know how much a coin weighs? It's not nothing. It weighs a lot. <laughs> right. Um. So, just like, <laughs> I like that he was like, I just have a small pouch. I have some baubles, some trinkets. I'm not even gonna describe them. They're just sort of fun things. And then like, oh, also this fucking sword. So yeah, uh, I dug it. It was it felt very much like Dungeons and Dragons, and that's what the most of what I want out of this. Do you have any other notes? Nope. Let's move on to chapter twenty three. Besieged. Summary. This chapter is uh, one big battle that describes the siege of Kessel's army against the many towns in ten towns. Many people died, and the survivors have taken shelter in the two main towns, but while they await their slaughter. Brunor and his dwarves proved to be especially adept at theatrical goblin slaying. That's all I have. I got one note. Okay. The word disengaged. Yep. I started to do that thing where I'm like, oh, I've read a while. Do I need to go back and see what, because I don't know what's happening? No. Right. No, I don't. Yep. Brunor killed some goblins. Moving on. Yep. I, I, this, this, and what it feels like is I feel like this is the Lord of the Rings, his love of Lord of the Rings showing its head again, but this time he's trying to do Helm's Deep. Yeah. And I don't care. Yeah. It, it, and I think I, I think we can talk about it here. The t- no, let's move on. Okay. Helm's Deep. Well, 
yeah, it's it's very much like Helm's Deep. This idea of like, oh, we're we're preparing for the siege. We're preparing for this huge, incredible, like, oh, you gotta, you know, who, where, wh- who's gonna come to our rescue? Like, you know, like the elves, or I'm gonna guess the barbarians. I'm guessing the barbarians. That was um, my guess too. The Wolfgar's like, I'm in charge now. We're gonna go help out instead of hurting. Yeah, and Dritz is absolutely gonna kill a car inside the crystal shard and save the day and probably have to resist the shards temptations and Mm -hmm. then cast it into darkness or destroy it in some way. Sure. It's my guess. Um, so the, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's boring, but I want, I want to highlight the section with Brunor was, was still pretty good. It had its moments that was like, Oh, I like this. Like the moment where he ties himself to a rock and, and goes off the cliff with With the, the, with the rope that's been soaked in something flammable. Well, but before that, he just he does the first trick, which you go off the ledge, and then they crash their deaths. And yes. he's like, oh, I'm on a bungee cord. And then he uses that to to swing himself to a ledge where he can get back into the dwarven caverns. But the goblins above have figured out, oh, that rope he was on, we can climb down it too. But uh, uh, <laughs> Brunor, he's thought about that too. He's anticipated that action and has decided that he would rather soak that in oil or gasoline, the, the rope, mm-hmm. and then light it aflame once it's full of goblins. Yep, which. Yep. It's just fun. And like yeah. that's that's fun. That's One like falls it's like, on the ledge next to him. He kicks it off into the. It's great. It's fun. It's cutting the rope bridge. It's, it's just being like sayonara. It's the trying to stage his battle of the ten towns. Yes. That is just. God, it's tedious. It is so tedious. Well, let's continue with the tedium and move on to. Chapter twenty-four. Crucial Tirith. Summary. Urtu advances on Bryn Shander. The uh then and erects another crystal tower replica and then does some weird magic that makes like a third tower appear. Anyway, uh, a car castle appears after much spectacle and threatens the residents of Bryn Shander before using the tower to Death Star Targos, which is another of the ten towns, the second strongest town in ten towns to be precise killing many of its residents and raising its structures. This exhausts the Crystal Shard's power, and the two replica towers crumble. Meanwhile, the forces of Kessel's army advance on another one of the Ten Towns as the survivors of Targos plot their revenge. (sighs) (laughs) Alright, well, first of all, I found a mistake. Ooh, ooh. Was this about centuries? Yes. Yes, it is. It comes up later. And I... No, specifically, this it comes was... up here, but it comes up later too. Sure, kind of, but specifically, um, this is one of those things that didn't. I'm guessing didn't get changed. Yeah, exactly. Because on page 19, mm-hmm. uh, the dark elf pulled his cloak tighter about him. He felt as vulnerable in the sunlight as a human would in the dark of night. More than half a century of living many miles below ground had not been eased by several years on the sunlit surface. That's the passage that everyone cites in the original printing was, you know, two, 200 years living underground. Right. And then here, uh, it's sensitivity to creatures on lower planes brought about by centuries of associating with them in mental barons. And that should have been changed, too. And I think they just missed it. Yeah, there's another one like that later. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's all. But on that same note, s- dealing with demons was the, was in first in the centuries in Menzo Baronzan. Is that what he was talking about? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's my note too, except a different angle on it. Okay. Which is, I don't recall any mentions of demons in Menzo Baronzan in any one of the three prequel books, yet here Dritz suggests they were quite commonplace and suggests he had many encounters with them. Okay, good, because that was my next, that's my note in the next chapter, so now I know that when, it, when addressed, I am not feeling confused. They never mentioned it in the trilogy. They, they did not once mention demons. Mm-hmm. If you want to describe the Yokolal as demons, perhaps, but I think they are Yokolal. Right, they have I their think own they are... classification. Exactly. And, like, and I, I think, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's his first book, I guess. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, it but, just seems like a strange thing to insist. It to say, I'm going to tell the story of the first book, read through your book, man. Or, like, not even read through it, but, like, how, do, how could you ignore Urtu? Like, right. how could you ignore this character that's a huge part of your book? Right. You you have a chapter named for him. Like, he's the first character we meet in the book. Right. And, and you're, you're saying Dritz to... met him before. Yeah. And then you go through three books of describing the shit Dritz did before now, which presumably is the only tales of that shit we're going to get. Right, because it was only 50 years. Right. Well, 50 years before he left Menzo Baronsan, after that... There was another period of time. I forget how long. Like five decades, years. He's only like 55 or 45. Everyone, all the message hmm. boards are like, nope, it's only about this much. That doesn't make sense. Uh, because he, that makes sense if you're counting the time from the end of the first book and then forgetting about the, the middle ex, exile and sojourn. And you're thinking about just Crystal Shard. I think exile and sojourn is only a period of like a year. That seems way too short. I, sure. I, my, my memory of, like, the way Drift describes going stir-crazy in his, the place he finally lands oh. at the beginning of Exile. Okay, you yeah, know, like, that was that was supposed to be 10 years, so I think it was 40 yes, that's and then 10 right. years. I see what you're saying. Well, I think he, okay, maybe, maybe, okay, okay, so maybe it was 40 years when he left Menzo Baranzan, then 10 years on his own, so that's yeah. 50. Okay, maybe I'm misremembering. I Maybe I'm misattributing the 50 to the first book. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, so then, yeah, 55 by this point, I think. Still pretty young for a drow, I guess. Very young. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I don't remember demons at all. Uh, and like I said, unless there were some extra special years between those 10 where he dealt with demons in the Underdark, uh, it's... Maybe while in school, but yeah, write that shit. Yeah. Or, like, do you consider driders to be demons? Probably not. They're fucking driders. Like, it's that whole thing of, like... You can't just say, I dealt with demons and then suggest that these other creatures are demons when they're just not. Right. Like, demons have their own rules and their own classifications and et cetera, et cetera. All right. You done with that no, one? No, I'm not. Oh, shit. Uh, third tower. Yeah. Is Are you, are you suggesting that I missed when he, they made a second tower in the same chapter? Yeah. Okay. Because that, that's, that's where I was just like, what, third tower? But the shit I glazed over was the second yeah. tower being built. It was, well... Don't criticize yourself too hard. It's there. It's just badly written. Okay. It, it's one of those things where, like, right after he constructs this, the second tower mm-hmm. in front of uh, Bryn Shandor or whatever it's called, it's, like, a couple sentences of description and then and then he built the third tower. Yeah, it was... Okay. It's, it's, it, it's, it's not described where or in what spatial relationship to the second tower it's built. It just does exist. Okay. And I think... Th- and, and then later... It's just it's referenced when I think in, in this next chapter when Urtu is sort of cursing 
a car for having the hubris to build a third tower that strained the, the crystal shard too much. Right. Just for the sake of wanting to build a third tower. Right. It's only mentioned twice, and both times it's like very briefly, and it seems like the only reason is there is to say, well, the thing we're doing about like Death Starring that whole town is totally within the power of the Crystal Shard, if but for the hubris of building a third tower, he would have just been able to annihilate everybody at that one moment. But that's the thing about the hubris of Akar uh, Kessel is that he uh, absolutely is is the victim of his own ambition right, right, and right. pride. So you have to have him showing those prideful moments. And what better way to show the silliness of pride than to be like, I want more of a great thing. <sighs> Last note. And it's kind of about the 10 towns. And I think we can talk about the 10 towns here. Let's talk about the 10 towns. Well, first of all, what is your perception of the 10 towns? Because I don't get why a car is so hell bent on overrunning them. It, 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 it kind of feels like you're st- your plan for world domination starts with um, capturing the Kenai Peninsula. Mm, powerful position. Uh, right. I, go to Forgotten Realms New York or <laughs> London or Poland. What the fuck are you doing with these ten towns, which seem like they're uh. all... You know, glorified fishing villages and shit. Well, keep in mind, it, like a town like Waterdeep, one of the biggest towns in in for the Forgotten Realms, is full of wizards, <laughs> full of people who were immensely powerful, uh, more so than I think he is able to comprehend his own. Like, I don't. I think one of the flaws of this character that you're supposed to see is he doesn't really understand how powerful he could be. He's too obsessed with those little things. Like he's too obsessed with the the instantaneous gratification of a harem of of women and and the, taking whatever's nearest to him. No, that's fair to a point. But do you think do you think a car is going to die by the end of this book? Oh yeah. Okay. This is the Icewind Dale trilogy, which means I don't think we're leaving the Ten Towns anytime soon. Okay. So again, it's such a it seems like such a small little backwater area of the world. I don't know. It just, I think we're, I think we're leaving as soon as this book ends. Oh, the 10 towns. Yeah. God, I hope so because I definitely prefer my fantasy stories to be questing and not just hanging. That's why I don't like deep space nine. Oh yeah. I want, I want trekking man. Yep. Yep. The famous fantasy series, deep space nine. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be out of 10 towns by the time. I mean, I, I okay. Ugh. My prediction is that there will be one town at the end of this book. My prediction is that uh, the, the, the fact that there will only be one town is what brings all the towns together to be a functional one space. And I also think that maybe the uh, barbarians will, they will learn to work in harmony with the people of 10 towns and not have, not feel compelled to raid them because now Wolfgar is their king. And I think that, at the end of this book, Wolfgar and Dritzt and Brunor and maybe Cadibri, maybe Regis are going to go have an adventure doing something else. Well, the halfling's um, stone. Yeah. Or whatever. Yep. All right. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. 
Uh, well, my, my thought is, again, he's only looking, uh, in terms of a car's ambition, I think he's just looking at what's around him. Like, his his accumulation of power is has been slow going. Like, mm-hmm. his, his, uh, his amassing of his own army has taken him time to let goblins and let trolls and let giants wander into his vicinity. So he kind of needs to stay in a place nearby all those things. And it's entirely possible that the range of the influence of the Crystal Shardis has a limit. And so in order to actually make use of those things, he has to kind of stay put or move all of those things at at once together. And it sure makes more sense, I guess, to just take over the nearest village, test your army, test your ability, prove your worth to yourself and to your surviving army, and then move on from there. Mm-hmm. Like a, like a, like a infection. Okay. But uh, he's also, he, he's, I think Salvatore has done a pretty good job of proving that he's a dunce. That he's a he's a child he's a brat and he doesn't know what's good for him, um, and he or he he is the what are the toxic personality traits of having an aversion to authority, and deciding that anyone who tells him what to do doesn't really know what's best for him, so he's going to tell them how he's going to instead just respond reflexively and do the opposite, just to be contrary or, or to prove that he doesn't need their help or whatever it is he's doing. He's done that a couple times so far, and I think he's just going to continue doing it until he's dead. Right. Or until he becomes the eighth lich in the Crystal Shard. Okay, well, are you done with this chapter? I think so, yeah. Let's move on to our final chapter. Chapter 25, Ertu. Summary. Dritz summons Ertu to a cave near the mountains surrounding Ten Towns. There, the demon reveals many secrets about Kessel and the Crystal Shard to the drow before realizing that Dritz isn't what he seems and begins battling the elf. Dritz would be dispatched easily if not for the magic power of the scimitar he took from the lair of icing death, whose blade causes searing pain to the demon. Damaged beyond repair, Urtu erupts in a burst of light and is banished from the material plane for a hundred years. I have a couple notes. I mostly like this chapter. Yeah, I'm, me too. It's, I mean, it was, it was, it swung back towards adventure. It was fun. I read it with Urtu, like, re, like every time Urtu described something to Driss, he did it with great indignation. Like, he was just like, the crystal shard. Yeah, yeah no, Driss like not super smooth in like, sussing out information here. You know, it, yes, it exists in the tower. Oh, the, well, like, well, you, 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 yes, of course, Driss, there's, there's an invisible door in there. The, but, con- the context being that he, thinking Dritz being a drow is evil and after the shard and he's and, at first trying and, to ally himself with him and is an agent of drow right. matrons who are after like the shroud for its power. So he, so he feels like he's being like, uh, Ertu feels like he's being duped by someone who's pretending not to know these things. So he's just going to get it over with and say, yeah, we're all know what we're talking about. It's this thing with all these attributes. And meanwhile, Dritz is just raking all in all that information <laughs> And just being like, sure, sure, sure. This is uh, all stuff. Of course, I know. But I like, I like the idea of, of like the, the mythic demon, who's been scary the whole time, and like, you know, growly and ape-like as he's described, and and vicious and dark and and just like, scary. Just entering a room where he was like, he's just, he's over it. <laughs> like I just like the idea of being like of like an all-powerful evil entity just being like, ugh. This again, like I like it, even a demon at the DMV. That's how this felt. Okay. Like, like him just being like, "Oh my god, I have to read the small line of letters." Yeah, my eyesight's fine. 
<laughs> oh, but I guess I have to read it. Um, A E C J D K Y M K X. Copyright Otis Corporation. What what else do you want me to read on this thing? I just love that idea of him just being so like frustrated with with Dritz the whole time. It's it's like. That made this, like, I don't know if that's how I'm supposed to read it, <laughs> but no, that's how I, I read it, and it made it super fun. There? Sure. Um, I liked some of the, uh, the, the, even though they never really used it, I really liked the foreshadowing of uh, Gunweaver trying to get through the barrier. Yeah, yeah. And then Dritz is like, okay, that barrier's good, and Gunweaver going, ah, oh, I could have pushed through it because it's a shitty barrier, but he, yeah, he's yeah. happy, so I won't. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, that's not okay. I was very engaged. That's great. Um, I was, too. I liked that a lot, too. And I really liked it when Urtu shows up, and, he, you know, uh, Dritz has his little secloistered, secloistered? Secloistered. Secloistered. He has a secloistered Dell. And and the demon is so massive, he just kind of shoulders his way into it, and there is no way out. He yeah. is now the, you know, the fourth wall. The Dritz is like, uh oh. There's a, a there's a bit from an SNL digital short uh, about the Hunger Games, or about like dystopian teen movies, and in it, Bill Hader plays one of the Hunger Games like people who's like uh, a rich person who's sure. like all done up in all that crazy makeup. And he's in like a bunker, like speaking out to all these contestants. And he's got these big horns on the top of his head because that's part of his, his outfit. Sure. And there's a bit where he tries to leave the room, but like his horns are too tall. <laughs> so they just scrape against the ceiling and just makes parts. And he's like kind of holding them like, ah, ow. Um, that's how I imagined Urtu in this room. Oh, okay. He's like okay. scraping the, the, the ceiling with his horns. Right. Because he's just too big. Uh, final note, unless you have more oh, notes. Well, I have a couple, I have okay. a couple notes. Uh I have a note on page 258. It's happened earlier than this, but I'm noticing the inconsistencies here in Dritt's timeline where he suggests he spent centuries in Menzo Berenzan when the prequels clarify it has only been half a century. Where is this one? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's notes on that page. 258. I see there, uh, from Urtu's point of view, it had been centuries since Urtu had looked upon a drow. Hmm. Well, I don't. I didn't. I don't highlight it, so I don't know where. I mean, either way, we know those inconsistencies are in the book. Yeah, but I know you'd want to see it, so you can go look at there it is. There it is. Um. Yeah, I don't see it either. But okay. whatever, it's there. You tried. Um, I I believe it's there. Okay. It's my opinion that sure. it's there. Nicely done. And, you know, eh, you want to disagree? You can disagree, but uh, I believe it's there. All right. No, page 263. Who the fuck is Gaywin Winstrom? Thank you. Thank you. I was very confused. That's not Mushi. Right? No, it's not Mushi. Okay. Wait, was it? No. He had another name, but it had Mushi in it, I thought. No, it didn't. No? How do you spell it? Spell it for me. G-W-A-E-R-O-N. Gueron, and then Windstrom, pretty much like it sounds. The hero of the goddess Miliki. Yeah, this, the little bit I'm looking up for him here says that he's a, a lesser deity. And as far as I can tell, is not Mushi. But Mushi had a different name. Was... But uh, I feel like it was 
it was easy to Montolio di Brochet. Yeah, Mon. That was Mushi. Yeah, Mushi. Ugh. Um. Yep. So uh, I don't remember that character being introduced or alluded to or referenced. I, I and I know that that name had appeared earlier in this book. I think it's but supposed not to be in the, any way the Jesus of Maliki's God. You're, I mean, yes, but like, why is it written like we should know what that is already? Because the, I I think it's just a, a, a it, it right now it's occurring right. to me this feels like a direct transposition of. Well, if we were in the re- if we were in our world, a demon would say, "Oh, you serve Jesus." Blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And so it's like, well, since we're just directly, you know, parallel timesing by Forgotten Realms, he will say, "A ranger humbly serving Gwed and Winstrom, hero of the goddess Meliki." Yeah, Ugh, which is actually what Dritz said, but you, the same point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, it's I wish stuff like that had been established before. Sure, like. Dritz, tell, when you're describing why you're a ranger to Wolfgar, tell me a story of this hero. Tell me a story you've learned. Tell me that the force the is an God. energy field that binds us and, and surrounds us. Surrounds us. And penetrates us. Penetrates us. It's generated by all living things. If you give that one line earlier, later, when we're using the force, we'll know what it means. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, he's totally using the force right now. Right. Look at him lift that rock. So forced. Oh, lifting that rock so good. He got his uh, rocks off. Okay. The ground. I don't have any more the ground. Notes. You got him on the <clears> ground. I don't have any more notes. Do you? Uh, last one. Just kind of hearkening back to gleaning all this information from Urtu uh, without Urtu immediately realizing it. Just felt like classic tricking the ogre into revealing his weakness scenes. Like yeah, like, like the whole the red dragon. boots. I you know I bet you can't turn yourself into a flea kind of thing. Right, right. Loved it. It's great. This so oh, much okay. better than war shit. I thought, I thought you were gonna say it was terrible. No, this is um, this is that classic mythic you know adventure shit that I love, and I wish there was more of this. Yeah. Don't waste my time trying to cram Helms deep into, you know, one third of one fourth of the book, or even like a weak facsimile, a weak like sketch of of what i'm sure helms deep may actually be i but or it I feel may like not be. i don't it even may remember suck just as much as this i don't remember how it reads but it still takes up a chunk of that whole book right whereas this i mean this book is already feels like it's three novellas strung together and right. it's a small part of one of those it's just like oh don't don't do that man the Get- and the only thing that's really tying this book together is the is the the saga of 10 towns right. like it's all these we, we have to establish all these heroes and who they are in their origin stories essentially mm-hmm. in this book while also having an epic that takes place between the covers and kind of behind the scenes it's it's yeah it's definitely like they're all i think the thing it might do to me is it establishes the reason for the questing it establishes why wolfgar has to go to the barbarians. I mean, he isn't saying it out loud, but I think that's if he didn't have that like urgency of of taking the of the barbarians and leading them to war against uh, Akar Kessel's forces, would he have gone to fight icing death this soon? Would he have just accepted his comfortable life with with Brunor and Caddy right. Bree? Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's a suggested that that's why he's doing the things he's doing. Who knows? Um, would would he he definitely would he have needed to get the training he got from Dritz if the 
forces weren't on their way. I think that happens before we realize, before Dritz and them all realize that Akar Kessel has a force of ogres and goblins. Because I think immediately after the training's complete is when they discover the scouts and then they fight them and then they start to learn. Mm-hmm. But um, it's definitely important to the plot of this book. It's just also boring. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's one of those, I think it's like, it's, I wish he had written a better plot. But as it is, it's just it's just a necessary evil, right? And I mean, Ten Towns kind of rolls off the tongue, and it's uh, it okay. Here's the, my pitch: Ten, ten Towns, okay. Ten Ten Towns is one town with its own borders that was formerly ten small independent villages. Yeah, that because of their constant trading between no, each other, absolutely. created like, roads. That now just made them all kind of one big city. Where you have like Phoenix with Scottsdale and Glendale and yes, Flankstaff, any big city, Mesa. Just, just do it. like like in our city, we have neighborhoods that used yeah. to be their own cities that are now just neighborhoods. New York with its Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens and etc. Boroughs, boroughs, sure. Uh, Edgar Rice, any of them. Hmm. Um, the yeah, I, I feel like that's that makes way more sense than. What this is, which is ten disjointed towns that collectively have a name, but are actually not really that close, and they're also not cooperative. Right. Boring. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not boring. It's convoluted. It's not it's boring. Too, it's it's, it's not... unnecessarily complicated. Right. And 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 unrewardingly complicated. Yeah. That's another really important thing is like I can take complicated things. Sure, but, like, I can do all the mental give effort. Give me something and be, for yes, it. Yes, exactly. And all I get now is, okay, another city's bird. I didn't care about it in the first place. Didn't really I could barely remember their names. I and barely, I mean I don't remember the names. Only when I read them do I go, Oh, is that one of the towns? And I only know that it is because usually it's followed by one of the ten towns in the <laughs> book. And I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. I, now I yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. So anyway, uh it's hugely disappointing segments of this episode or the, these chapters but a couple of really fun things yeah oh oh the card uh icing death the card the way it relates to the story i, I was going to come back to that now i will so in the in the book the dragon itself is described as uh being atrophied and being weaker because of its long slumber and lack of muscle use so a dragon in magic is usually uh uh, so the power power and, and uh, strength of a creature in magic is determined by its uh, these numbers, like uh, th- its power and toughness numbers. So an average, like just a normal human person, is like a 1-1. One, one. They have one power and one defense baseline. Uh, a, a plant, for example, like a basic plant is like a 0-1, has no attack, and has one defense. It does live, it does exist, maybe it has some bark. But a human could chop it down and not get injured. So you look at those things and they fight. 0-1 versus 1-1. The 0-1 dies. It's as simple as that. Dragons in, in Magic have traditionally been around 5-5. Five, five to set that standard. The the older, uh, maybe 6-6. Six, six, but my memory is 5-5 five, five is a pretty good dragon number. So um, if you have... So, so Icing Death, when it shows up, it's a 4-3. So four power, three toughness. That means it's weak for a dragon, mm. especially on its toughness side, especially on its defense. Um, but part of what the book describes is because it was insulted by Wolfgar, it got a surge of strength that made it burst through the ice. 
hence an imbalanced power and toughness, a four and a three. Okay. So I thought that was kind of clever. Um, it also, it's relatively inexpensive to, to, to cast, and it also has some really nice uh, traditional abilities, like flying, that make it useful in combat. When it dies, when, the, when the, the creature dies, so again, reading the card, you realize, oh, whatever part of this creature's myth involves its death. Because it has a, a, a trigger that triggers on death. Mm-hmm. And with this one specifically, it creates a what they call a legendary equipment token. So an equipment is like an object, like a sword or a shield or anything that a creature you control could be equipped with. They could hold as they fight. So it would give them a benefit. So it when, when Icing Death dies, it creates a, a token called Icing Death, Frost Tongue, which is a sword. And uh, it has the image of the sword is not great. It's like it shows the images of like two hands holding the pommel of this blade, and then like a white dragon's tail behind it, like mm-hmm. dead. And it says the equipment has the abilities: equipped creature gets plus two plus zero. Whenever equipped creature attacks, tap target creature defending player controls. So when I see this card in the game, tapping means like you turn it sideways, make basically make the creature inactive. Okay. Unable to do the things you want creatures to do in the mechanics of the game. So for if you had a Dritz card and you equipped him with Icing Death uh, Frost Tongue, it would be very flavorful, as we call it. It would, be, it would be like, oh, I did the thing that happens in the story. Dritz gets this weapon. Now he's much more powerful, and the weapon is kind of attuned to him. It's built for him as a character. And so all of that, as so I knew that the creature existed and when it died, it created a sword, but I didn't, when I was reading this book, I was like, I knew all of that and was keeping it in mind. And then it finally happened. And sure enough, while Drist is hammering away at the treasure pile, he pulls out this almost too good to be true scimitar built so you, for himself. You think that sword was created by the dragon's death? No, but again, I think that... In that's the, how it was reinterpreted the, for the game. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. And that's one of the fun things about magic and especially this Dungeons and Dragons variant where they... They come up with creative and fun ways to symbolize the myth of this character or sure. this event. And part of the myth of this event is when this dragon dies, Dritz finds this thing. So whoever kills this dragon would, in theory, find this sword and then be able to take it. If subsequent chapters reveal that the sword was, in fact, created by the dragon's death, will you be more or less uh, satisfied? I don't think it would change anything for me. Maybe okay. maybe less, maybe a little less, because I, like, I really like the idea of there's all the... Oftentimes you see in Dragon Horde depictions objects objects that look like they're they're more than gems and coins. Mm-hmm. They're things like golden chairs or uh, golden uh, vases or or um, urns, things like that. Where you're like, that's weird. Why does he have that? Mm-hmm. Um, like the one of the when in the Rick and Morty episode about the when Morty wants a dragon and they're all the weird kinky dragon orgy things and the dragon Morty gets, uh, has his horde is very weird. He has like a limited edition ghostbusters, high C, you know, the cooler. Thing. Sure. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's, so it's that kind of thing where it's like, sometimes dragons have really weird shit in their hordes. That's that adds a lot of flavor to, there's a story about where this sword came from. Who, who, where did, where did Icing Death get this sword? Mm -hmm. It probably didn't make it. It was probably a sword used by another adventurer who either died at the hands of Icing Death or like was part of a horde that the, the, the dragon took. So 
it adds mystery. It adds flavor. It adds a lot of fun stuff. So I, it's stuff like that that I like. I, I if they had a, it, it's the you know uh, what do they call the eye of the mountain? What's the thing in the fucking Hobbit? Oh, like the heart of the mountain. Is that what it's called? The, the shiny that, rock. The, 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 the big the big stone. Yeah. That's kind of a last minute. What are we doing here? Right. Um, stuff like that yeah. where it's like some sort of beyond what your average treasure would look like uh, average treasure of crowns and jewelry and whatever like imagine all the stuff you'd find on on one-eyed willie's ship but then throw in something ornate and elaborate and nonsensical and that's the stuff i like and that's kind of what this feels like cool it also however does not explain what the fucking other weapons dritz has are and where they came from. And it doesn't connect the shit that we learned in the last book about the, the weapons he got from Mushi. And I don't like that. Like, okay, he finds this scimitar. He had two before that. What happened to the one he had that he must have done something with? Which one was that? Where did it go? There's a lot of unanswered questions that are, are only unanswered because he brings them up in the first place. Now, I'm wondering if because of the order of these books publications, if those questions like I don't I can't really tell where in the history of these publications, those those oh, things happen. Yeah, so yeah. like they happen definitely after this book. But like at what point would you have to read for to for you to catch up to the publication timeline so that maybe they could start paying off? Is right. it? four books from now is it one it could be any and i i just don't know and i don't want to i don't care enough to look into it sure but like it because it makes it too much effort it makes it's, it like this it's is a obnoxious. little frustrating right that's it, it seems like seeds of ideas occurred to him while writing the prequel trilogy but since the second trilogy had already been published he can't pay them off till later right and that's annoying but that is all my notes. That's all my notes. Cool. Well, I don't think I have anything else. I don't know new word alerts, do I? Let no, me check. You don't. I, don't. I don't think I do. Apparently not. I looked up this word N E Y, nay, but it says the Merriam Webster dictionary doesn't have that word in it. And I don't know if that's a real word or, or why I looked it up. So, anyway, <laughs> it's weird. N E Y? Yeah. I must have read it somewhere, but I don't remember where or why. Yeah. It's not a word I'm familiar with. Me neither. Okay. Well, I think that was Death Readers. Nope, so Nope, nope. Okay, nope, my nope. God. What, 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 what? What are we reading next time? Well, the end of the book. Yeah, I know, but you can still just say. Well, next time right, we're going to read time, chapter 26 through the end of the book. Next time we're going to read chapter 26 through the end of the book which is page 267 to page 344. Should I read beyond that? Um, you could read the about the author, but I mean, if you haven't already read that, I don't know how to, what to tell you. Hey, I'm just making sure we're doing things correctly. Okay. I'm keeping us on track here. No, I, I certainly want to, wouldn't want to uh, lie to our listeners by omitting which books or which chapters we're supposed to read next. That would be sinful. Yes. Negligent, rude, I mean, cruel. No, wait, no, no. Lazy. You almost got me. What? You almost got me to agree with you, but it would not be those things. But it's not a problem because I did the work. I asked the questions. You're welcome. Okay, well now, 
that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. I feel like it's the, the kind of thing I off. feel like I would have. Yes. I feel like it's the kind of thing that were I in a position to uh, read someone's copy and say why it was wrong, that would be the kind of thing <laughs> I underlined. Um, but you are in that position, yet you did not. No one ever listens to me. Um, <laughs> hey, same. <laughs> um, Let me put it this way. The same amount of people that listen to you yeah. listen to me. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Good thing this isn't in stereo. Put the one just dumb on stuff and cut that out. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, that's okay. I've made a plenty of fumbles today. You want to move on? Yes. So let's move to twenty. Mm-mm. Chapter twenty-one. Icy tomb.